Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 4. This is going to be the final Sunday message in the series, Not of This World. I'm going to finish up on Wednesday night here. So if you need to uh, come back Wednesday night, please, and, uh, and finish up with us together. 1 John chapter 5 on Wednesday. Today, 1 John chapter 4. Um, gosh, it's a magnificent day. I'm excited about everything. Uh, we had an infant dedication in the last service. His name is Smith Michael Robertson. It's rare that I'll dedicate a child as old as one, but Smith is probably, uh, I think he turned a year old yesterday, so he's one year old in a day. Uh, he's a grown man. He looked like he could shave. He's so big, um, and it was so wonderful to dedicate him. Because he was older, he looked me in the eye like a person, you know, as I was talking to him, and I just loved that so much. What a wonderful boy. Smith Michael Robertson, new baby belonging to Whitney and Jonathan Robertson. So we dedicated him. Uh, I have a wedding this afternoon, you guys, and that never happens, but uh, Alicia Graham and Bob Ryan, who attend our church, y'all know Alicia and Bob, they're getting married today. We were planning this big to-do in October, November, and they called me on Friday and said, listen, we went and bought a marriage license. Can we just do this? Uh, so today, in a private ceremony, so you're not invited, which is awkward, but, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> Just Bob and Alicia and, uh, and, and two witnesses, and that's going to be it and me. We will marry them today. So if you see them next Sunday, throw rice or bird seed or whatever uh, and let them know that you celebrate their marriage together. I'm excited. Also this afternoon, uh, I'll be attending the launch service for Jennings Creek Community Church. This is a church that we are a financial partner of. We're helping uh, to establish and plant this new church. The pastor is Derek Logston. Derek preached here in my place a couple of months ago in the summer. Uh, so I'm so excited about this. Uh, if, if you're out and about, Jennings Creek this afternoon, 2 o'clock, that service will celebrate the beginning of a brand new congregation. So all that is just so good. It's going to be a gorgeous day. First John chapter 4, verse 7 is where we'll be this morning. Again, last sermon on Sunday in this series, Not of This World. One of the ways... I guess I should say the primary way in which we are most different from the world is this. It's what's described in 1 John chapter 4, and it has to do with love. Jesus himself said that the world would know that we belong to him because of the way we love each other. Let's talk about that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. 
And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he lives in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our very own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. More than any other passage in all the Bible, I've preached this. As your pastor, I've preached this passage more than anything else. And I guess I should also say more than any other passage in all of Scripture, this one continues to draw me back personally. There's a tremendous challenge in this passage for me. There's tremendous encouragement in this passage for me. There is tremendous bewilderment. Because of the way John talks, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. I mean, those words hit hard. I guess because at 57 years old and I've been married 34 years, I just don't know that I've yet learned how to love real well. Y'all know what I'm saying? Love comes from God, as John says. Hey, help me out on the, on the screens here, guys. Uh, love comes from God, and so for that reason, it, it does not come from us. It would be simpler if it did, and we would understand why it is that sometimes love doesn't come out of me, you know, if, if you could expect it to come out of me. But John makes it clear, love comes from God. So it doesn't come from you, it doesn't come from me, it is not mine to find or to give. And, and, and it's just so bewildering to try to figure it out then because that means after all of these years, if it hasn't come out of me yet, is it ever gonna come out of me? I mean, some of us have been married, I said I've been married 34 years, we have. Some of you have been married 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, and in all of these years, we still haven't learned how to love we still can be very, very selfish people. We can still be very, very angry people. We can still have a bad day and come home and take it out on the family. I mean, what is it about us after all of these years of sitting in church and listening to the Bible be read and, and all of these years of saying that we love God, but then we still haven't learned to love other people? John says that's a contradiction. You're a walking contradiction. You can't say you love God whom you can't see if you don't love people you can see. You can't say you love God whom you can't see if you don't love the people you can see. Honestly, I, I think I can. 
It just, it is easy to say I love God whom I can't see, and it's really hard to love the people I see. Y'all see some of the people I see? I mean, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world to say that you love people until you have to actually be with people. I think that's specifically why in John here, the commandment is to love one another. He's speaking to church people. Love, love the people you go to church with. Love fellow believers. Christians, you're supposed to love Christians. Now, he could just as easily say love everybody because you know that we're supposed to love everybody. Jesus says love your neighbor. We gotta love everybody, but, but it's one thing to say I love everybody. In college, I worked in a restaurant uh, and we had turnover all the time. I always knew servers coming in. And this one day this woman came in. She was a student at Western. I said, hey, I go to Western too. What's your major? She said, I, I major in gerontology. I said, what is that? She said, it's the, it's the study of, of older people, the elderly. I said, what are you studying old people for? She said, I just love old people. She said, I love the elderly. It's just something about my heart. I love them, and I just love taking care of them. I said, well, girl, that is beautiful. That is great. That is a good major. Y'all wasn't five minutes later. We had this old lady that came in. We called her the soup lady because she would come in, order a big bowl of soup, and then when it was time to pay the bills, she would all of a sudden have dementia. Like then, she'd get dementia and act like she didn't know what you were saying, and then she'd walk out all confused. But she did it every day. We called her the soup lady. Okay, so all of a sudden, like, gerontology girl meets soup lady, all right? And she spent some time with it, came back over and said, I hate that nosy old lady. Okay, interesting, huh? Like, just a few minutes ago, she was saying, I just love the elderly. I love old people. And then comes back, I hate that nosy old lady. You understand? It's one thing to say in general how you love people. But it's a different thing when the people become individual, particular people that you have to deal with, you know? And so when John says you gotta love fellow believers, I think it has that effect of making you think about the people that you actually have to deal with. And in this case, it's church people. We have to learn how to love one another. But can I just say, I still think we got a long way to go. I've preached this passage more than any other passage in all my 26 years, and we're just gonna keep coming back to it because this is still basic, but we haven't mastered it yet. We don't love well. I don't love well. And I'll also say that all of the lowest moments in my ministry are those moments when I have to step in somehow and referee church people who don't know how to get along. That's the hardest thing I do. Like, like you have grown up church people who get into some sort of fight and I have to come in and settle that. You, you know, it, it makes my head want to explode. I, I don't understand how grown ups can act like the third grade Sunday school class, but sometimes we grown ups don't know how to love. And we've been at this for a long time. So I guess the question becomes, is there any hope for us? I mean, some of us are getting along. I'm 57 years old. If I don't, haven't learned to love well yet, it, 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 at what point do we just give up? At what point do we just say, this is how I am? This is, this is how I act? This is who I'm going to be? No change in me now. I mean, isn't that just how it feels that after all of these years of not being a very patient man, are you suddenly going to flip a switch and, and find patience? 
After all of these years of being a gossip or all of these years of not being able to forgive people, are you suddenly going to find that? Can you change after all of these years? Can we possibly change and become people who can love each other? So the commandment in 1 John is coming from John, coming from the Holy Spirit, of course, but it's, it's John, 1 John. It's, it's, it's a letter that John writes, the Apostle John. He's the same John that writes the Gospel of John. And, and you should probably know that in church history and church tradition, John becomes known as the Apostle of Love. He's the Apostle of Love. It's the Apostle of Love saying, this is my commandment. You've got to love one another. Apostle of love. Apostle of love. First John, he says it over and over and over. We've been reading this now for weeks. I mean, how many times we just keep coming back to, we have to love each other. We have to love one. I mean, it's all John's got. You read his gospel, it's the same way, only there he has so many of the words of Jesus. But John is the one who always goes back and brings us the things that Jesus said, like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's from the gospel of John, but those are the words of Jesus. It's John who tells us that Jesus said, you know, my prayer is that you'd all be one. It's John who tells us that Jesus said, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples. You're going to love each other. When the world sees you loving each other, they're going to want to be a part of that. They're going to know that your message is true because the love is true. All that comes from John, the apostle of love. But what do you know about him? I mean, if it's his credibility on the line here, what do you know about the apostle of love? Now, let me introduce you to him closely. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. I want you to turn. I want to hear some pages rustling. If you're using your iPhone and your pages don't rustle, make a whistling sound with your mouth. Go whish, 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 so, so I know that you're turning. To Mark chapter 3, verse 17. Let's go all the way back and meet Meet John from the beginning, the way he's introduced to us in Mark chapter 3, verse 17. Now, this is just a list of Jesus' first disciples, his first followers. And among those he called first were two brothers, James and John. Their father's name was Zebedee. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Mark chapter 3, verse 17. Here's the introduction. Again, it's just a list. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them what? Sons of thunder. Notice that when Jesus first met John, he was not the apostle of love. Jesus nicknames him and his brother, the sons of thunder. What does that tell you about John's personality. What does that tell you about his heart? All that tells me is that when Jesus first meets John, John's the kind of guy who could just cloud up and rain on you. John's the kind of guy who's, you know, he's like lightning. He, he, he could strike you. You know, John's got a whole lot of thunder in his heart when he first meets Jesus. Let's keep going. Turn over to Mark chapter 9, just a couple of pages. Mark chapter 9. Verse 38, oh, John is precious, y'all. He is a piece of work. Mark chapter nine, verse 38. This is John coming to Jesus one day, and John says to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. 
He could, he could so easily be one of us. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like us right there. I saw somebody, he's casting out demons and he's saying your name, Jesus, but I knew, I, I did not recognize him. I hadn't seen him in our group. I don't think he's one of us. So I shut him down. Does this seem like an apostle of love yet? You know, so what follows is this long sermon that Jesus is preaching just to John. First words, don't stop him, he says. And Jesus goes on. I mean, it's this long message because, as I said, John's got a whole lot of thunder that you got to ring out of his heart, you know? Turn over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Whish, 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 whish. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Oh, this one's so good. It's terrible, but it's just so good. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his revival, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on the way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, so we just call down fire from heaven and burn him up. Jesus turned and rebuked them. They went on to another village. Oh my goodness. Does he seem like the apostle of love yet? How many of you, like that could be you this week, I mean, how many times, if you could call down fire from heaven, how many of you would have walked out of work one day and everybody be toast? Uh, if, you, if you had that power, you know, boom, you know, some of your teenagers would be toast, you know, I mean, you just get fed up with people. I mean, they went in to prepare for Jesus' arrival. The people didn't necessarily welcome and James and John, it flew right up to the nose, man. Do you want us just to call down fire from heaven? Yeah. <laughs> How does he become the apostle of love? I mean, how does that even work? How does the son of thunder become an apostle of love? I mean, how? And the only answer, the only, the only thing you need to understand is that it happens because he walked with Jesus. That's where the transformation comes. Now understand, you walk with Jesus and day by day, you'll become like Jesus. That's how it works. So when I ask the question, is it possible for you and me to learn how to love? Of course it is. Is it too late for some of you? No, it's never too late for any of us because of Jesus. But you gotta love Jesus, you gotta walk with Jesus. Now all through this passage, the New Living Translation loses an important word. The word is abide, abide. And some of your translations would use that word abide. John uses that word over and over and over in this passage. In the New Living Translation, which I'm reading, uh, the New Living Translation uses the phrase live in, live in. So it's all through this passage. And John will just roll these words, love and abide, around and around so that you understand the nature of love. Now, it's not the kind of love that you see in the world. Now, first off, do you see love in the world? Well, John says in a way you don't. Because John says that those who know God, love God, and then God's love is in them. So if you don't know God, then you can't know love. And that's what John says. So it makes it sound like non-believers can't even love. But now I know they do. I know a lot of non-believers, and I know that they love their families. They love their children. I know they love their children. I know non-believers in Woodburn 
I would, I would go so far as to say the very best neighbors I have are non-believers. They don't love Jesus. They don't want Jesus. They don't want to hear me talk about Jesus. But I'm telling you, if I'm sick, they are there with food. They're very loving. And so you can't actually just say that those who don't know God don't know love because they know something of love. So what's John saying? What is the scripture saying here? Well, I would just remind you that believer, non-believer, we're all made in the image of God. He created us to know him and love him. And, and even though if, if you don't know Jesus, you're so separated because of your sin, man, there's still this image of God in you. And there's, there's this capacity that you have to know God, to love God and be loved by him. And and you got a little bit of love left over from just that. I think that that love that, that is just sort of in the world, it's just a human love, it, it comes from God too. In the same way that the scripture says the rain just falls on the just and the unjust, I think God's love is, is like the rain that is, that is gifted to the world. They know something of love. As a matter of fact, I would say it's that, it's that human love, that, that knowledge of human love, as imperfect as it is, that, that knowledge of human love is part of what draws us to the heart of God, to, to understand something about love so that we can respond to God and his great love. I, I do think that there is some remnant of love in every heart because we're made in the image of God, but I still accept what John says here. I mean, love comes from God. Love comes from God. So how does it work? If even some of us who say we know God, we don't seem to love very well, there's still a whole lot of thunder in some of you. How, how does it work? It works like this. You walk with Jesus. You, you abide in Jesus. This is what John is saying over and over and over. Look at verse 16. We know how much God loves us and we put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in, all who abide in love, abide in God and God abides in them. What's it mean to abide? It means to make your home. It means to move in and live there. It means to remain. See, a lot of people in the world, they may understand something about love, but their understanding is, is very dim. So often in the world, you think of love as, as something that you can like fall into in just a moment, you know? So it's like you look out across the cafeteria and you see this cute cheerleader and you, love, you fall in love instantly. Love at first sight. You know, I mean, that's how it is. And some people tell stories like that. But the problem is, in a lot of cases, you fall in love in a moment. In another moment, you fall out of love. And that's how the world works. That's how the world is. You just see people who love you and then they don't love you. They fall in, then they fall out. But that momentary kind of idea of love is not what John's describing here. That's not the love that is revealed to us, the real love we see in Christ. Because that real love from Christ, it abides. It stays with you. It's not something that's on again and, and, and off again. It, it abides. And so you have to abide in him. He abides in you. And it's that abiding that enables something amazing to happen. Verse 17, as we abide in God, our love grows more perfect. As we abide in him, our love grows more perfect. It's, it's the work of God in you. It's a process. 
The son of thunder can become an apostle of love if he walks with Jesus, if he abides in Jesus. And if you will abide in Christ, I'm telling you, you can have a different kind of heart. Now, the, the, the key is this, walking with Jesus, abiding with Christ. Christ is your prior relationship. This is a priority. Everything depends upon your relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus is the one that you seek. You don't learn to love by seeking after love. You learn to love by seeking after Jesus. Walk with Jesus, and day by day, he will make you like him. He'll teach you how to love. Does that make sense? You seek Jesus. If you want to be a better wife, you don't learn to be a better wife by just seeking after your husband. You learn to be a better wife by seeking after Jesus. The love that you need in your heart will come from Jesus, not your husband. Same thing with the husband. If, if you want to be a godly man, a godly husband, you seek Christ. Everything lacking in your heart, you'll find in him. There is no woman who can turn you into a man. Understand? You have to find that love in Christ. Christ is the important relationship. You seek him. You walk with him. And he will give you a new heart. Okay, a couple of other things. Notice how it says here uh, in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. I, I, I love that. I would say it this way. The closest the world will ever come to seeing God is for them to see his love in us. I mean, his love in us, that, that's the proof. Woodburn Baptist Church has been here over 150 years. We've been in the small town of Woodburn, and Woodburn is the smallest town in America. Probably not, but is there, is it, is there a smaller one? Okay. Probably in Logan County, you know, somewhere, uh, Edmondson County. Um, the last election, I think 70 people voted for the mayor of Woodburn, and that was a big turnout. You know, 70. All I'm saying is, we were sent into this world with the Great Commission to tell the world about Jesus, to win the world to Christ. And in 150-something years, we haven't won Woodburn yet. It's, it, it, it's, it's a one-caution-like town. And we haven't taken the gospel to them yet. Now, that doesn't mean they haven't heard us preach. They've heard us preach. They've probably visited once or twice here. But, but just look at the empty seats in this room and understand, man, those are seats that belong to people in the world who need to be here, but they're not here. Because honestly, when we preach the gospel, it's not very believable. We go out talking about this God of love, but they don't see his love in us. And for that reason, the gospel is absurd when we preach it. In the United States context, and I'm not making this up, you know this is true, the Christian church is not known for love. They don't think of us as a place of love. They think of us as a people of hate. They know everything that we're against because we're really pretty good at getting out the message of all the things we don't like. I mean, we're very good at standing against things, but we have not done a good job at all of sharing the love of Jesus with the world. And that's what they're waiting for. I go back to what Jesus said. He said, this is how the world will know that you belong to me. They're going to see you loving one another. The world's still waiting to see us love each other because when we begin to love, then all of a sudden when we talk about the God who loved the world so much, they might think we have something to say about that. They'll see the love in us and the love is the proof. No one has seen God, John says, but if we love each other, 
Love comes to full expression in, in us. A couple more things. Understand, you got to choose to love. Well, Pastor Tim, you just said that you walk with Jesus, and Jesus just does that magical work in your heart. Yes, that's true. Jesus does that work. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it without him. That's Jesus' work. He'll do that in you, but you have to want it, and you have to choose it. Notice it's a command. Love each other. Love each other. It's a command. See, that's not how the world thinks. I know I said that the world loves, and they do love, but they don't love like Jesus loves. You know? you got to choose to love people. Sometimes somebody say, you know, Pastor Tim, you know, I, we were eating at Olive Garden the other day, and I looked over there, and this family, this beautiful family, they, they bowed their heads and blessed their food. And so I went over, introduced myself, and invited them to my church. And, and as we were talking, it's like I'd known them all my life. We just clicked, and it's like we were friends for life. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about when you meet somebody, and it just clicks like friends for life. No, that hardly ever happens. True love is not something that usually just clicks. It's something you have to choose. And it's not even something you choose once. You have to choose it over and over and over. So when I say that the world knows a kind of a shadow of God's love, it is a dim shadow. Jesus' love is a love of another kind. I mean, in the world, people would love their friends. People love their family, but Jesus says, I'm telling you, you gotta love your enemies. Now, the world does not love enemies. That's Jesus, that's, that's a different kind of love. You know, the world doesn't forgive. The world may give you three strikes and you're out, but remember the day that the disciples come to Jesus and say, how many times should we have to forgive people? what Jesus say? Uh, 70 times seven. Which is Jesus' way of saying as many times as it takes. We forgive. And we forgive and we forgive and we forgive. And there's no three strikes in your out. God's grace is infinite. And so if his grace is flowing through us, then uh, we're not going to run out of forgiveness for other people. God's never run out of forgiveness for us. Understand what I'm saying? This is a different kind of love. This is not of the world. But you got to choose it. And can I just say it's hard work? It is really hard. I mean, love is hard. It, it, the power comes from Jesus. The love comes from God because it's not in us. Love is hard. Y'all ever go out, and I, I won't say this because some, somebody's going to be parked in two parking places out there. But in other, other parking lots, have you ever walked out there and seen like a car parked in, a, in like double spot? Why do people do that? Why do people go to, you know, Cheddar's and park in two parking places on, on a Friday night? Because they don't trust you. They don't trust you. I mean, even in the church parking lot, I've heard somebody say, Pastor Tim, I just think you ought to know that, you know, last Sunday I found a big old scrape down my car. You know, somebody opened their door, and, you know, they just left in the church. Yeah, it happens, y'all. You probably ought to maybe park, you know, take two parking places and, you know, I'm kidding. Um, that's the thing. I'm not really talking about parking. I'm just talking about how uh, love requires you to get close to people. Close enough where they can, you know, bump you. Because that's how life is. And since everybody's a person just like you're a person, nobody's perfect. So nobody's going to love you perfectly. Which means there's always a risk involved. There's no such thing as love that doesn't involve risk. 
Because every time you really love somebody, there's always a chance that they're not going to love you back. You remember elementary school, right? When you'd, you'd fall in love with a girl and you'd write her a note. And you'd say, do you love me? Yes. No. Remember that? Remember passing that across the room? And then just living in, you know, terrible fear? Because what's she going to say? Yeah. I always had the dumb girls that would, like, make another box in the middle and said, maybe. <laughs> and I'm talking about... Like, there's no maybe. There's two choices here, girl. You know, maybe. Maybe. There's always a chance that you're going to give somebody your whole heart and they're going to give you maybe. There's always a chance that you're going to make a promise and keep your promises even when it hurts and then they're not going to keep their promises to you. There's always a chance that they'll lie to you. There's always a chance that they're going to disappoint you. This is how it works. It's why also that John begins to connect love and fear here at the end of the passage. Now, in John's first context, we're talking about the fear of judgment, that, that you know you're going to stand before Jesus one day, and, and if that stirs fear in you, then it's just a sign that you don't really know the love of Jesus, because if you know his love, then you know his grace, you know his mercy, you know his forgiveness, and you know that you have nothing to fear in him. He's perfect love, and his perfect love will expel all of your fear. Okay, because that's the message. You got nothing to fear if you know Jesus' love and if that love's working through you. But in the same way, this applies in our relationships. Sometimes it's, you know, some of us are just afraid to love. We're afraid to put our hearts out there. We're afraid to get close. We, we sort of want two parking places, you know, so we got plenty of room so that nobody's actually going to ever be close enough to hurt us. But I'm telling you, if they're not close enough to hurt you, then they're not close enough to love you. You have to let people close. You have to take the risk. I'm telling you, love is hard work. It always costs something. I mean, this is what John says. Love gives itself away. I'm reading it right from the scripture. God reveals, God shows how much he loves us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. Any place you see real love, somebody sacrificed. And if you are going to live a life of love, if you're going to experience the love of Jesus, I'm just telling you, you're going to have to learn how to give yourself away. You're going to have to learn how to take the risk. You're going to have to learn how to give up your selfishness. You're going to have to learn how to look in the face of other people until you see that there's somebody worth dying for. Love always gives itself away. So after all this time, is there any real chance of you turning out to be this kind of person? An unselfish person, a person who would really think of others, a person who would... Walk so closely with Jesus that he could give you his heart? Is there any real chance of you turning out in a good way? Mean as you are, selfish as you can be, unforgiving? Yeah. Yeah. There was a man named John. When Jesus first met him, he gave him the nickname Son of Thunder. Because Jesus looked that man in the face and saw there's a whole lot in your heart that's going to have to be wrung out. you got to wring the thunder out of this man and give him a heart of love. It took time. It took time. John walked with Jesus for years. and Eventually, the son of thunder became the apostle of love. 
According to church history, to church tradition, John was the youngest of the 12, and therefore he outlived them all. So in the end, he was the last of those eyewitnesses, the last of those original 12 disciples. He was very important in the early church, old as he was. They said that in the end, he couldn't see, he couldn't hear, couldn't really walk around anymore, but they would carry him into wherever the churches would gather. Since he was the apostle John, the apostle of love, they would often give him an opportunity to preach, although he was no longer much of a preacher. According to the church tradition, when they would bring in the apostle John at the end of his life, he would sit before the church, and he only had one sermon by this point, and it was only three words long. (laughs) Don't you wish? Um, One sermon, three words long. They would bring the old man in, And he would look at the people and say three words, love one another. Love one another. Son of Thunder became the apostle of love. If God can wring all the thunder out of John's heart, put love there, he can do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. If you walk with him every day, Day by day, he'll give you a new heart. Pray with me.